we're going to be looking at a very famous parable, very famous story that Jesus told in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, which might be better said the parable of the prodigal sons, because there are two lost sons in the story. So Luke 15, verse 11, to the end of the chapter, chapter, I'll just let you remain seated. It's helpful to have your Bible open. If you don't have one, there's a blue Bible in front of you. Page 874 is where you can find this story that Jesus tells. Luke 11, Luke 15, 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he rose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, brother, your younger brother has come to your father and has killed, your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But as he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. As most of you know, Young Life is an outreach ministry to primarily high school students, some middle school, some college and I was on the Young Life staff for 15 years. And one of the, the joys of being on the Young Life staff is you get what's called a summer assignment. So you take kids to camp in the summer for a week, and then at some point during that summer, you serve so other area directors can bring their kids to camp. And you stay there for four weeks. It's called a summer assignment. 
And they can be really great, but they're, they're time-intensive, as you might imagine. As fun as they are, you get to work for 28 days straight because every day uh, camp has campers. And that's a challenge, especially if you have a young family. And so a friend of mine on the Young Life staff with me, his name is Phil, he tells a, stu- a touching story about one of his experiences with his four-year-old son while he was on one of his summer assignments. Phil understood that the intensity was going to grow as the uh, assignment came upon them, so he decided, hey, the, the, the few days before the assignment, I'll just totally be with my family, you know, 24-7, which his family really enjoyed. They were near this camp, and they spent all this time together. But once the assignment started, especially that first week, you're just on the clock all the time if you have an assignment. And that's great for Phil, but it was tough for a four-year-old son who doesn't understand the transition from we're together all the time to suddenly I don't see my dad that much except for up front. And one day while Phil was in another meeting, he was in a room and down the hallway he could see his son pacing back and forth, waiting, you know, when when is dad going to be done with this meeting? And at one point, Phil caught the eye of his son, his little four-year-old pacer, and they caught eyes, and Phil pointed his finger and he went, And his son, in a mixture of disbelief and excitement, screamed, Him wants me! Him wants me! And he raced down the hallway to his dad. Isn't that a great story? Him wants me. That's a three-word sentence for Christmas. Him wants me. Why, Why did Jesus come in the flesh? He came because him wants me. The angels use more than three words to make the same announcement. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a what? A Savior. A Savior. What was born to us in the city of David was a Savior. God has come in the flesh because him wants me. He came because he's looking for us. He's saying to you, come, let's let's be together. Let's repair this relationship. And I have a question that I think uh, this story raises is, well, what kind of people did Jesus come to save? Or you might say, who does he want? When he comes down, who is it he's looking for? And I would suggest to you using the story, he's looking for the worst kinds of people. He's looking for really lost people, people who don't even maybe know that they're lost. He's looking for people like you. He he wants you. He's looking for people like me. He wants me. Jesus makes it clear that he's come for the worst kinds of people in this story. And it's a story about these two lost sons. Notice in chapter chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, Jesus tells you who is in his congregation this day to hear this story for the very first time. Here are the people. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. So this is his crowd. On one side, we've got tax collectors and sinners. On the other side, we've got grumbling Pharisees. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to 
point out you specifically there. But we have these two groups are coming. They're hearing this story for the very first time. And, and this, the way Jesus is doing it is he's saying, I'm putting these people on the end of the human scale. So I'm wanting all people, people at the worst, and then anyone in between, like A to Z. I'm looking for all kinds of the worst kinds of people. Tax collectors and sinners. These are people who are self-absorbed. They're very unlikely to come to church. They reject the need for God. They simply need, they live for themselves. And not infrequently, they use other people for their own pleasure. I mean, they can care about other people, but in the end, they're really just saying it's mostly about me, and if I have to use you to get my pleasure, well, then that's part of the price because that's how I roll. I don't have a God or anybody to answer to. That's, that's part of the crowd. The other part of the crowd are the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the people who are religiously absorbed. They're not self-absorbed. They're religiously absorbed. They're, they're most likely to attend church. And they're most likely to notice if you don't attend. They believe in God, but the distortion comes in that their belief in God is that either God owes them or God would certainly prefer them over anybody else. They come thinking, well, I've done the right kinds of things, so basically God owes me. Or he certainly prefers me over than that, that crowd, for sure. The, the Pharisees, the scribes, are people who typically look down. And what's fascinating is Jesus takes this audience and says, let me tell you a story, and I'm going to put you all in the story. So he, he takes the audience and says, I'm telling a story, and it's about you. See where you find yourself. And we need to ask ourselves, where do we see ourselves in the story today? Verse 11, the story is about a father with two sons. The younger son, we know as the prodigal son, he's the reckless son. That's the, the sinners and the tax collectors. The older son is the prideful son. So we have the prodigal son and the prideful son. And the prideful son is the older brother, and that's the Pharisees and the scribes. And I want to just set three scenes for you today in the story. Number one, let's think about the younger son. The younger son comes to his father and asks for his, his part of the inheritance now. So in these biblical times, what would happen is if the father died and he had two sons, the older would get two-thirds and the younger would get one-third. And the younger is saying, hey, I'd like to just go ahead and get my one-third right now. I want you to hear what the younger son was saying to his father. I wish you were dead. I mean, I'm ready to roll out with my life, but, you know, I can't move too much until you die, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I wish you were dead so I could get my third and get going with my life. It's an unbelievable slap in the face to the father, but the only thing that's more unbelievable is the father's response. He actually gives the younger son his third. He doesn't kick him out of the house. He doesn't completely disown him. He gives him the third. And in verse 13, we're not surprised, not long afterwards, that son takes his third and moves to a different country. He takes off for Vegas. And he spends his third in wild and reckless 
living. He, he wastes his life. He spends all of his cash to throw parties, to get friends, and to have prostitutes. His motto is YOLO. You, you only live once, and so you might as well just go for it, and you don't have to think about tomorrow. Everything is today, and everything is what I want, and everything is right now. That's his way of his, of his living. And I have no doubt that on some of these days, however long the money lasted, there were some days he thought, I found life. Because at some point, sin feels great. It feels, for moments, really compelling, really fulfilling. And you think, hey, I, I didn't have life when my father was around, but I've really found it, and I'm enjoying it, and I can't wait to go out and get more of it tomorrow. I have no doubt that some of those days he felt that way. But like all parties, some point they come to an end, and the party ends when the bank account hits zero. And this party host turns into a pig host. All the people that were friends disappear, and he gets to hang out with the pigs. He doesn't even get to eat what they eat. He's starving while he's feeding them. His search for life was terribly misguided. He thought he could find life without God, without his father. Now, this can happen to all of us, but I was reminded several years ago when I got a, a, a phone call from a college student who I'd met, I didn't really know that well, but I, I knew his parents, and his parents had given him my phone number and said, if you, never, you ever need anything, call Paul. He, I'm sure he'd be happy to help you. So he calls me kind of out of the blue because I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And he says, can we have lunch today? I said, well, sure, you know, let's meet at McAllister's. Very popular athlete at UNCW, very, very well-liked, very, very strong, just the kind of person that you'd be like, wow, he's got it made. So we sit down at McAllister's, and he says, hey, I called you because this morning I woke up in a, the, on, in a ditch on the side of Market Street, side of the road of Market Street. The cab I took home from the party only brought me as far as the money I had in my pocket, and that was... Market Street, and I couldn't make it home, so I fell into a ditch, and that's where I woke up this morning. And I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm, I'm addicted to life. And I'm, I'm desperate in need of help. He, he, like the prodigal son, came to his senses. He's like, I, I, I thought I had it going on all the way up until... I'm in a ditch on Market Street, and I realize my, my life has just completely collapsed. All the things that I've put the weight on me, I can't hold that. The prodigal son has his Market Street moment while he's feeding the pigs, and he comes up with a two-point plan. I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to go back home. At least I know my, the servants for my dad have food, so here's what I do. And you can just imagine him running this story through his brain over and over again while he's feeding the pigs. And as he's walking home, he's like, I mean, these are the two things I'm going to say. You've you ever done this? You're going into a tight conversation. You say, I, I'm, this is exactly what I want to say. And he wants to say this. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called your son. 
I'm confessing that I have sinned. I'm, just, I'm not trying to cast blame on anybody. I'm just saying I'm completely on, uh, uh, at fault here. I've lost everything you've given me. And then the second point of the plan, can you treat me as a servant? I know you can no longer treat me as a son. So he's walking home, going through this story. And I wonder if Jesus paused at this moment in the story and just took a little drink. Just to give time for the tax collectors and sinners in the crowd to think, ooh, what, what's going to happen? Does the Father want people like this? Will, will he sort of, you know, get his first? What happens in verse 10, 20 catches everyone off guard. While the younger son was still a long way off, smelling like a mixture of ditch water and alcohol, the younger son sees his father sprinting towards him. The younger son discovers him wants me. I, I never would have thought that walking home. I mean, that wasn't part of the calculus. It was a confession, and I'll just move into the sinners, the, the servants' quarters. I, I'm not thinking you'd actually want me back. And his father, in an embarrassing move at that time, the dad runs towards the son. I, I want you. I want you. And then things began to happen very quickly. This reckless son is embraced by the reckless love of the father. And the son's trying to get out his two-point plan. But he's only able to squeeze out a confession. You notice that? Just, that's, that's the thing Jesus is looking for. I'm just looking for a confession. It's very simple to say, I've completely messed up, and I'm not shifting the blame to anybody except for myself. Well, he's starting to get out of the second part of the plan, and the father refuses to listen to anything else. And, and then he says nothing about paying the father back or anything. He, the father broadcasts his own plan. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring some shoes, kill the fatted calf. The father's not going to wait for a payback plan. The father's not going to wait to see if the son proves himself. The father's not even going to wait to see if the son cleans up well. No, the father has announced to everyone this son of mine who's dead is now alive, who's lost and now found. I want him. And I want you to celebrate with me. And cool in the gang comes on and celebrate, comes out. And a great big party just explodes on at just at that moment. And wouldn't you know, it's when the older brother starts coming back home from doing what's right. Scene two. He, he hears what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. So he sends somebody out and says, hey, can you tell me what's going on? The, the older brother, the Pharisees and the scribe, Jesus has been looking at the, sorry, sinners and tax collectors, and he's shifting to the Pharisees and the scribes here. That There's another son. We're moving from the reckless to the religious. The religious types are people who deep down don't understand the need of grace. Of course, they always consider themselves pretty good judges of who should get in the party and who shouldn't. 
they're the, they wouldn't say this, but they're kind of like the religious bouncers. They come into the congregation and think, yeah, you don't really belong here. I mean, if I were at the door, I'd say, hey, you know what? You need to clean yourself up first, bud. They feel real comfortable with judgment. The elder brother returns from a long day of doing what's right. He hears the music, smells the food, hears the sounds, and the father has brought back the family, this younger son into the family, and he's not happy about it. In fact, he's so angry, he doesn't even go into the party. See that? I can't, hey, I can't go in. Elder brother types love judgment, struggle with joy. You can see in verse 29, the elder brother has a distorted relationship with his father, and I'll just point out a few clues. First word there, look. That's not a good start on a conversation with your dad. Hey, dad, you look. You're not paying attention. Good thing I'm around to tell you what's going on. You, f- you feel that? You ever felt that? God, you don't understand what's happening in my life, but I'm happy to point it out to you right now. Look, pay attention, Dad. Look, all these many years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders. Do you hear the kind of relationship the elder brother has in his mind? It's not father-son, is it? It's slave-master. I've been coming to church this whole time. I've been giving my money the whole time. I've been serving the whole time because you're the master and I'm a slave. It's not a relationship based on delight. It's a relationship based on duty. I do the right thing. Turns out that you see the elder brother wasn't much different than the younger because the elder brother doesn't want the father either. He wants his stuff. He's just going to get it by obedience. Do you hear that? The younger brother's just going to say, I make a demand, you give me all this stuff, and I go live however I want. The elder brother says, I live according to your commands, then you give me your stuff, but I don't care anything about you. I want your stuff to have a party with my friends. I'm not interested in a relationship with you, Dad. He's really not much different than his younger brother. You hear it very sharply. I never disobeyed. You never gave. You owe me. The way it might come out in your mind, and you probably wouldn't say this out loud, but if you're an older brother type, you think, I deserve These people haven't done it right. They don't deserve, deserve jack squat. But I've come, I've made sacrifices, and just normal things that I want, whatever that is, I should get it. God should supply. And when he doesn't supply, look, God, you're not supplying The younger brother was separated by his, from his father by his reckless, recklessness. The older brother 
by his self-righteousness. Both of them are lost. How does the father respond to the older son? Very similarly to the younger son. You notice the father comes out of the party. He's coming towards the son. And he's coming to say, him wants me. He wants people like me. Religious jerks like me. He loves me the same way as he loves the prodigal son. And, and any person on the spectrum in between, he's coming towards me. You see that in verse 40, 28. The father comes out to the son. Why does Jesus come out of the party in heaven towards earth? Why? Him wants me. And he entreated him. That's such a great word. He could have commanded. That's, that's, I mean, if you're Paul Phillips, this is what you'd want to do. Hey, you get your tail back into the party and, you know, you're smiling because the servants are around, but man, you are just hot as a firecracker. But that's not the, that's not the emotion. I'm pleading with you. I love you. You're my son. You're my boy. We've, we've been together all this time. Come into the party. I want a relationship with you dads, especially. You don't want a relationship with your kids to end up being master-slave, right? So, I mean, there are lines you have to draw, but you want to use the heart of it. I mean, I'm treating you to, to do this. I'm pleading with you because I love you. And then third, in a stunning move, all that is mine is yours. Son, even though you're trying to manipulate me to get my stuff, you can have my stuff. You can have all of it. You just got to come back into the party. It's amazing grace. Son, please don't stay outside on the fragile porch of your own good works. Everyone gets into the party by grace. Everyone stays in the party by grace. The only way you get in is also the only way you stay in. It's all by grace. There's no earning. Verse 32, cliffhanger. Father goes back in and and what happens? What do you think happened? The elder son come back in? I mean, I'm, if I'm listening, I'm thinking, how is the story can end here? The reckless people are inside, and the religious people are outside. I mean, I would have at least thought the religious people got in, and there was some question about the, the reckless people. But you see how Jesus is totally turning around. The people who knew they were out become sons. The people who thought they were sons are slaves to their own self-righteousness. Scene number three. Right here, right now. Do you see yourself in the parable? 
Somebody here might be the college student that you've driven your life into the ditch. I want you to know he wants you. I don't know if you've ever seen the picture that Rembrandt painted of the prodigal son. You've seen this? If you haven't, just go look it up. Very famous painting. It's a lot of times on covers of books that are about this topic. And the, the father standing there, you see him, and the son, you just see the, the back of him kneeling at his father's feet, just all tattered. It's a very famous painting, but interestingly enough, Rembrandt also did another painting of the prodigal in the brothel. That's the title of the painting. Or the, the prodigal in the tavern, sometimes it's called. And in this picture, there's a young man sitting with a big, tall drink in his hand and a beautiful woman sitting on his lap. You can just tell it's a big party. And the, 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 the prodigal's looking at you in the picture. And you know what Rembrandt did with that face? He painted in his own face there. It's a self-portrait. Because he knew this story, it was about him. And I wonder if you could paint your face in this story today. That you really don't want God, you just want all of his stuff, and you want to be left alone to do whatever you want. If that's how you feel, I want you to know he wants you. Maybe you're in between, like one day you wake up the prodigal, one day you wake, wake up as the prideful. And in the prodigal, you're all down on your sins, and the next day, you're all down on everybody else's sins. Usually the sins you can't control, you like to point out in other people. Or maybe you're here, this might capture more of me and some of you. You're more like the older brother. You wouldn't say it out loud, but you're a good religious bouncer. You feel good about yourself. And you feel like you're a pretty good judge of everybody else. Your relationship is more like a duty, not a delight. And when you don't get what you deserve, you get a little frustrated because you think, hey, I'm keeping the rules. I deserve. Wherever you are this Christmas season, great part about this story wherever you are on the spectrum him wants you you don't have to clean yourself up you don't even have to drop all your pride to come into the party you just got to get in the door pharisee or sinner come home he he wants you Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this story. And help us to see ourselves correctly. Help us to come to our senses. Uh, because the, the lost son came to his senses, the prodigal son came to his senses, but the religious son, we don't know if he came to his senses. So I pray no one leaves this room in an illusion about themselves, an illusion that they're not wanted 
or an illusion that they deserve. That you've come down in this tiny little manger to say, I'm coming all the way for you. And we hear your voice saying, you, you want us. Would that strengthen our hearts and souls, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.